Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Commercial with a state podcast. Welcome back to the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast, and I'm your host, Wright, Corey Wright. This is this is James Bond related, I think. Yeah, yeah. This is. <laughs> I I, I like, who I yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm your sometimes host, Matt Scalina. I just had friends. We were just talking about James Bond. Yeah, and full disclosure, we did basically a five minute segment yeah. for an introduction that I failed to press record on the well, I was uh, on say, our when recording. You said device. just talking about. It, I was literally going to say, yeah, we just talked about it for five minutes, and then we realized the record button. Yeah, wasn't there's going to be a so. lot of references during this introduction <laughs> that no one else is going to understand because it's the second one of the day. Well, I'll be honest with you, that was our best intro we've ever I done. F- I so feel far. like it, we yeah we're hit the cover off the ever, ball on that one. We're never ever going to be able to beat that. That that is that is true, <laughs> but first off, Corey, let's get to our guest. It's Matthew Dunnigan, commercial mortgage specialist from Impact Commercial. The exciting thing about having Matthew on is he's talking about how to invest, specifically buying commercial real estate as an investment property. Yeah, we had lots of listeners reach out to us. You know, hopefully, a lot of listeners know we kicked off this whole thing months and months ago when we had Al from Impact on that right. I just talked about. Here's how commercial lending works, just on the Coles Notes version of Broad it. Broad strokes. We had John, who came in and talked from Impact, who came in and talked about owner occupiers, and this is how you, as, as a business owner, potentially can be your own landlord. We had a lot of invest, a lot of investors reach out and say, "Hey, I need to know more about the investing criteria. How does that work?" So we reached out to Matt, said, "We need you to come on. We need to break this down." And and he doesn't disappoint. He, well, well, no, no, he doesn't disappoint at all. And and the thing that I always get asked because we work with a ton of residential real estate investors, yeah. when they ask me about commercial, it's it's like everyone has trouble wrapping their head around how you don't have to go full open kimono yeah. uh, the way you do in, <laughs> in residential real estate, where they, they're looking back about some expense from 2003. Yeah. And it's not that way in commercial, which is so exciting for investors. Well, it's funny because on last week's episode, we had Pete Leung on the uh, investorpreneur, and he was talking all about the challenges you have when you're trying to maybe buy multiple residential commercial or residential investment properties right. versus commercial. And in residential, they look at like, hey, can Corey afford that? How much does Corey make? And Pete last week referred to it, and Matt dives into it a lot this week. They look at the lease. That is the single most important thing. Who is the tenant? How much are they paying? How long are they there? That seems to be the big benchmark from a criteria standpoint that lenders will look at versus in residential. They're looking more at you as a personal indemnifier of that lease. And can you afford to make it regardless to maybe what that rent has out right. of the gate? Whether it's vacant or not, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, that is a very exciting component to today's talk and an exciting component of the commercial real estate world more generally. Yeah. It's, it's just more fun on this side of the fence. <laughs> so I try to get you guys to come play on this side of the fence, yeah. but you guys keep going back over there. <laughs> Uh, I am flattered. Thank you. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. Uh, but before we get to our talk with Matthew Dunnigan, Corey, uh, two things. One, succession has started again. I feel like I'd be, uh, yeah. I yeah. have to mention it. Yeah. Uh, this show is the best thing since Sopranos. 
and maybe The Wire. This thing is, Succession is that good. If you're not watching it, you're making a huge mistake. Well, I'm not going to lie to you. When it first came out, I got about five or six episodes into it. I, for whatever reason, it just wasn't clicking for me. I heard that from somebody yesterday, uh, actually, that he said he's watched the first three episodes twice. Yeah. And uh, he's like, eh. Well, you guys have always been talking about on your show. I feel like I, just thinking about Succession, the opening sequence of the first episode, I was like, this show's for me. I'm hooked. Well, you you guys were promoting it. I was like, kind of like, well, maybe I should go back and watch it. And I thought too, I'm like, you guys also promoted Yellowstone. So I'm like, can I really believe it? Can I not believe it? But I've actually started over again. Yeah. And I'm kind of getting caught back up a bit because I know the new season came out. So. Oh, well, yeah. Episode one of season three just came out. It, yeah. it will blow your hair back. I'm telling you, this just gets better and better. Well, the, the, the timing is great because my billions on Showtime, that just ended. So now I got to fill that gap there. So now I'm starting with succession. Okay. And you're, to- you're, so you're more of a billion suits guy. I'm a billions. I'm a suits I'm uh, like a Dragon's Den, Shark Tank, and then you can't judge me when I say this one, like the million dollar listing stuff. I watch all that stuff as really? well. Uh, it's kind of tacky, but I watch it all, yeah. I just love real estate though. That's well, that's, that's what it is, right? And I, and I love when you watch like the million dollar listing and they sit down for coffee and they just sit there and just negotiate a deal with no paperwork, no nothing, and they shake a hand and, and as if that's how the $20 million house is really <laughs> selling here, as if that's really how it works. Right on. Well, before we get to our talk with Matthew Dunnigan, we have one more thing. Of course, there's a sponsor. There's a sponsor. By the boys at Impact. Matt, Al, John, the team, everyone over there with over 50 years of lending experience and for all your commercial lending needs, regardless to the asset class, reach out to them at impactcommercial.ca. Without further ado, let's talk to Matthew Dunnigan, commercial mortgage specialist. This is a great episode. Enjoy, guys. Okay, so we're here with Matthew Dunnigan, commercial mortgage specialist at Impact Commercial. How you doing, Matthew? Doing fantastic. Thanks for having me, guys. Great. Yeah, no, thanks so much for taking the time today. Maybe uh, just to start, Matt, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, focusing specifically yeah, yeah. on your hockey career? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I'll get into that. Uh, yeah, so I, I kind of grew up between kind of the East Coast, West Coast, stay more, you know, Ontario, Vancouver, you know, started my career in Toronto in banking and in commercial lending for about three years there. Moved back west to Vancouver, continued banking, you know, for another eight years. Uh, spent some time in the Fraser Valley, moved downtown uh, there for a few years. So pretty much all kind of banking background. And what uh, got you into the mortgage game? Yeah, so funny enough, you know, I kept running into uh, to Alan Hegg, who's our, uh, you know, managing partner at Impact. Uh, we actually played hockey together kind of ran into each other about, you know, six, seven years ago, played a bunch of hockey. And, you know, at the time, I kind of kept on running into him as well in downtown Vancouver. You know, I was at the bank at the time, you know, he was with Impact. He he ended up sending us a few deals and uh, we just kind of kept in touch and kept running into each other. So it was almost kind of that sign of faith. And he was, he was growing the business at the time and adding, you know, a new broker or two. So, continued chatting and ended up jumping over to his side of the world. And uh, yeah, the rest is history. Now, when you say playing hockey, Matt, were you, were you coaching Al? Is that what you were doing? Because uh, I'm guessing there's probably two different levels of, of hockey that was going on. Unfortunately, I was playing. So oh, okay. uh, depending okay. who I was playing with, uh, they would have either liked or hated it. So, <laughs> Well, Matt, one reason why we want to have you on today, obviously we, we had Al on when we kicked this thing off, geez, months and months ago now, it yeah. feels like. And he kind of gave us a broad strokes of how commercial lending works in various departments. 
We had John on from Impact there where he dove into owner-occupiers and how we can make tenants their own landlords. We've had a lot of requests from listeners that they want to know, I want to buy an investment property. I need to know more. How do I finance that in particular? So we wanted to have you on today and we can kind of break that down and sort of there. Maybe you want to just start off by just giving us kind of like the Coles notes top line. Like I want to buy an investment property. What are the first things I got to do? What are the first boxes I need to tick off before I can show up at Impact Commercial there with a deal for you? Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, so you know, great, great question. So for investment properties, obviously, you know, you know, you know, us at Impact, well, we love to look at these deals. So you know, whether it is owner occupied investment property, construction financing, you know, we love to look at these deals. In terms of just the investment property financing. You know, how to really get into it. You know, Vancouver, it's a tight market. So you want to, you know, identify the property first. You know, we can tend to usually get up to around, you know, 75% financing on the investment property type. You know, of course, you want to identify, you know, what kind of property you want to look into. So, of course, you know, with investment properties, you know, you got your retail, your industrial, your office space. You know, we'll include asset types like like apartment buildings, you know, multi-unit residential, you know, even storage unit uh, buildings. You know, obviously, you guys had a great podcast on, I think, a, you know, a month or two ago on, on storage units, which, which which was awesome. So the main thing or the risks when you're looking at investment property financing, we kind of want to break it down into two elements. So, you know, first is, you know, deciding on the value or determining the the value of the building. You know, so of course, looking at the due diligence there, you know, getting the appraisal, seeking the financing. And then the other main driver is the lease agreement. So whereas the owner occupied kind of buildings, the risk is it's mainly on the financial strength of the business and the investment property world. The risk is solely on the lease agreement, you know, between the tenant and the landlord. This lease agreement, you know, it's going to drive the cash flow which is basically the debt repayment to the bank. So really the lifeblood of the asset is the lease agreement. So, you know, you'll have your five-year lease agreement, uh, your, your two times five-year renewals, uh, all, all that kind of stuff. So can we unpack that a little bit for, for listeners there? So I'm Matt. I'm going to go buy a property here with my brother, Adam. <laughs> and we're looking around and we're not sure how much down do we need. We're not sure what we're looking for. For that first-time investor, key thing or key takeaways is we have to find a property that's tenanted probably more so than something vacant, I'm guessing. Maybe that helps out. You can maybe you know talk to that. But also, how do you determine the down payment requirements? Am I looking at 10%, 20%, 50%? Is that derived by the income of that lease? Or the yeah. asset class, I'm kind of curious as well. Yeah. We we yeah, asked yeah, we asked six yeah. questions here in one yeah. every time. So <laughs> I'll try to remember yeah. them all. <laughs> no, no, it's perfect. So Corey, going to your stuff first. Can we finance you know an untenanted building? Well, so yeah, we can we can start to go to you know certain types of lenders to look. Uh, you know, we can go to look to alternative lenders which will finance untenanted properties. So the whole idea is you know if it's a new build, obviously new development, new build need financing, can go in there, get some alternative lending, at least to, you know, at least to close the deal or the purchase, you know, and there, you know, we give them kind of two, three, four, five months, whatever it is to find the appropriate tenant, get the market rate, set up the lease agreements and, you know, and even just refinance it with another lender. So, so yes, there is an option to finance untenanted buildings. Of course, most lenders, they want to secure the cash flow. They want tenants in there. They want a lease agreement set up. 
you know, again, that is the lifeblood of the cash flow for the bank. So in terms of the actual down payment, so, you know, generally speaking, with with investment properties, we usually like to see about a 25% down payment. You know, most lenders are comfortable with lending, you know, kind of up to 75% loan to value. So that's kind of the general rule of thumb there. You know, I think, Matt, in terms of, you know, your question, in terms of like the different, you know, asset types or classes, you know, of course, you know, lenders like some or, you know, not say they dislike others, but there's definitely some ones of priority. You know, they love industrial. Industrial has been the way to go. You know, office, you know, is coming back, which is nice. You know, retail, they'll still do, of course. But, uh, you know, obviously with, you know, obvious reasons, it's kind of struggled a bit. So, you know, multi-unit residential, love, storage unit, love. So it's kind of that old adage. I think it's, you know, beds and sheds, right? So, yeah. Uh, you know, multi-unit residential and industrial. Lenders absolutely love, love, love. So Matt, just thinking about interest rates here, if you're buying a place for your own business versus an investment property, is there a, a differential in interest rates for an investment property? Yeah. So in terms of the interest rate, it'll really depend on the risk profile of the tenant. So Yes, you know, you may get higher interest rates depending, you know, if the risk profile is a bit more increased, you might, you know, get the benefit of some low interest, you know, if you have, you know, better quality tenants, a stronger lease agreement. You know, I'll just kind of quickly go over the details of some of this stuff. So in terms of the lease agreements, you know, the longer the lease term, you know, more more stability, you know, you'll get a better rate. You know, we'll talk about the quality of tenants. So obviously, you know, the you know, the stronger the tenants, you know, that a lender likes in terms of their business or their operations, you know, the cheaper the rate. So, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you've got some environmentally risky tenants, you know, like a dry cleaner or like an auto body shop, you know, something that's a little bit risky, you know, if the lender's going to do the deal, they'll probably, you know, guard against it with a bit of a higher rate. And then also things like, you know, is it like an anchored versus unanchored properties? You know, if you have a, you know, Walmart or something that's next door that's driving in business, you know, things like that. So if you've got strong, strong neighbors that will kind of draw into the building, you know, that'll help. And then, of course, the actual, your tenant themselves, right? So if, if you have a, you know, a national or investment grade, you know, tenant versus like a, a mom and pop store, the quality of that actual tenant in your own building with all of those other aspects will, uh, you know, will definitely determine from the bank whether, you know, the risk profile is low or it's high and that'll kind of determine the interest rate. And what is the, I guess, the range thinking about from, you know, a, a stable, great tenant versus, you know, the type of tenant that the lender is going to look unfavorably upon? Yeah. So just like, even in terms of like the range of interest rates offered. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, like I said, it kind of, you know, for something that's a really good industrial, you know, industrial tilt up concrete strata unit, you know, all the way to, you know, a dilapidated building. And depending on the risk profile, you know, we're still seeing anywhere from, you know, the high twos from conventional lenders, you know, all the way to, you know, eight, nine, 10% to these alternative lenders. So there is a big range, of course, but it's all dependent on these kind of quality factors. So, William Wright Commercial shows up with the pinnacle of best properties you can potentially buy in an investment. We've yes. got the tri- <laughs> we've got the AAA government tenant. We've got a cap rate way over what the market would typically yield. Is there a way as an investor that I can somehow get less than say the twenty five percent benchmark down, or regardless to that income, that's kind of the entry level 
that lenders are comfortable with. That way, when buyers are looking, they know that that's kind of the numbers they got to work within. Yeah, so it is the typical benchmark. Some lenders are moving upwards, so you can maybe argue against an maybe 85%. Most of it is guarded by the lease agreements. Yeah. And, you know, whereas kind of how, you know, John was mentioning before the owner-occupied stuff, like lenders like it when there's a bit of skin in the game, when your business is there, when you're, you know, a quote-unquote owner-operator. And that's why banks were kind of comfortable with going up to these you know, 85, 90% loan to value levels. Like, you know, they, there were years ago, they kind of only held the line at 75% for the owner occupied. And now we've seen, we've seen lenders go up to the 90%, you know, over the last couple of years, right? So they're all, they're all kind of coming up together, right? So it may not be unusual to see the investment property world also come up a bit more. But like I said, you know, it's because there's potential turnover in the tenants. Yep. And it's really the risk is based off that lease agreement, which just could be a five-year thing. That's kind of why they guard against kind of that loan-to-value mark. So for the listeners there, 25% down is kind of the benchmark we're looking for. The longer that lease term is with the current tenant, it's going to help us in the lending. Is there markets that lenders are more favorable to than maybe not? If a client comes to you with a great retail investment property in Yelltown, strong tenant, five-year lease term, is that a much more favorable market than that same tenant arguably being tenanting a property, say, in Chilliwack? Are the lenders going to be more favorable to the the larger cities, or are lenders now becoming much more open to looking at maybe some of these suburban markets and even as far as Chilliwack than maybe they were five years ago? I know, again, that's the four-for-one deal there with the question, but I'll let you take it from there. (laughs) Yeah, totally. So, um, yeah, of course, you know, lenders love liquidity, right? So if you can get an asset class, you know, close to a metropolitan city, you know, the closer it is, the more liquid or, or easier it is to turn over to sell to another investor. Yeah, like, so lenders lenders would love, you know, the closer you are to the epicenter, you know, they love. When you start going out, obviously, you know, to the suburbs or these other surrounding cities, you know, yeah, there's going to be less turnover. But again, then you kind of get into the whole cap rate conversation. So you're going to appreciate, you know, higher cap rates when you move out. You know, obviously the values come down a bit. Your income comes in on the other side, you know, thereby increasing, you know, your cap rate or your rate of return on that uh, on that building. You know, downtown is, you know, mostly dominated by the REITs, so uh, the Real Estate Investment Trust. So, you know, they'll come in, they'll acquire the building. They have, you know, as much time as they need. They're not really concerned about, you know, the cap rates. They're getting their two, three percent, but they're appreciating the value increase of that major downtown building. You know, whereas you're going out into these other areas, you're, you know, you're getting your increased cap rates. And most of our clients are, you know, your regular investors. So, you know, we always tell them to go to, you know, to these outside, you know, perimeter cities to actually enjoy the return. Um, yeah. So. Matt, we work on the residential side where if you're looking to purchase an investment property, it's a fairly extensive process often going through your own personal finances and basically establishing that you have the wherewithal to carry it. Can we talk a little bit about the difference between how lenders are looking at commercial properties versus how they look at residential investment properties? And Matt, before you answer that, I just want to clarify when my Matt says we, he's referring to himself and Adam. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. This, I'm not part of the <laughs> 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 All 
personally speaking, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, the, you know, the major difference is obviously, you know, looking at the financials of the building. So let's call it the property operating statement or the financial statements of the building versus, you know, your personal net worth. So, you know, Matt, in your world, you know, you're looking at the, you know, the personal net worth statement, you're looking at the annual income, you're seeing if they qualify from, you know, a debt servicing point of view. It's basically the same thing on the, you know, on the commercial side, you know, we're looking at the financial statements or, you know, the property operating statement of the building, you know, just as, you know, servicing or repayment of the loan. So, you know, and that's kind of, you know, why I keep saying it really goes back to the lease agreement, which is the driving force of everything. So, you know, that's going to set out your, you know, how much you're getting per year, you know, you're going to take your building expenses, you know, you're going to see if you've covered everything, including, you know, the blended payments of the loan. So yeah, everything on the commercial side really kind of goes back to that lease agreement. Obviously, COVID's had a major impact on a lot of asset classes. And we touched base on that earlier from maybe retail's not as favorable as it once was. How much impact has COVID had on just the overall lending world? Has banks, I mean, has areas been sort of struck off that? Obviously, some asset classes are more favorable now than they maybe once were. What has COVID done to the lending world? And what are some new challenges or some new stuff you guys have had to implement when dealing with clients? Yeah, yeah, no, great question. Something we've all kind of been experiencing over the last kind of year and a half, two years now. So, yeah, I can tell you, you know, for the, uh, you know, Corey, you can probably speak this as well, but in the uh, in the brokerage world, it's kind of been a silver lining for brokerages for getting deals done and, and going, you know, direct channels to lenders for actually getting the deals done. In terms of, you know, the investment property landscape, you know, industrial. Industrial has been a huge, huge, you know, beneficial asset type during COVID. Like we've seen, you know, some of the agents have been telling us, you know, we've seen drastic market rate increases on the industrial side. You know, I think it was out in Delta. I was looking at some rates from at least screaming a few years ago that were kind of at 13, you know, 14 bucks uh, square foot and, you know, had a call in the other day and it was, you know, it's up to 1920 and that's just all in a matter of, you know, a year or two. Industrial's always been strong. It, it's hard to find land to build new industrial, you know, asset types. So industrial's definitely benefited. Retail, of course, we all know about retail. It's, you know, taking a bit of a hit. Obviously, uh, you know, less foot traffic, you know, people going into stores, but, you know, that is making, you know, a comeback, of course. It's funny, with retail, there's almost been a shuffling of kind of retail that's gone from the downtown to the suburbs. And I almost look at like, a good example is actually what Starbucks kind of did right at the beginning of COVID, where they kind of took out, you know, half of their downtown locations. And, and I'm speaking of Vancouver, but they took out half of their downtown locations and they've gone out to the suburbs, you know, just because they're getting the, you know, the driving, you know, traffic within their own suburb. And, you know, they knew there wasn't as much foot traffic in the downtown core at the time. So, you know, some of the larger corporations have definitely, you know, even benefited a little bit of this, even in the retail space. Multi-unit residential just is always fairly stable. You know, again, depending on how close you are to the metropolitan city, it's a uh, you know, that's an asset class that will always kind of stay strong. And that's obviously dependent on other economic factors. You know, storage, lockers, those businesses, those will, you know, remain strong. They've been strong throughout COVID, you know, and then, of course, you know, what am I missing here? Office. Yeah. So, you know, again, office, you know, we've seen some companies obviously kind of scale back, which is fine. This whole work from home, 
work from home aspect, but, uh, you know, we're definitely seeing a return to the office, you know, larger, mid-sized, smaller corporations. There's been a lot of floors that have kind of been, you know, stratified or broken down a bit. So, you know, you're getting some smaller businesses that are looking to get out into into the office world. So, yeah, there's definitely been a lot of shuffling and change, though. So, so some for good, some for not, but yeah. Matt, maybe shifting back, and I, I'm just always curious about how to get the financing done. Top three reasons deals collapse in your world. Oh, yeah. Uh, great question. Timing. It's a lot of it's just just timing. You know, it's a lot of it could be, you know, a, a quick approaching subject removal date, you know, a fast closing date. You know, we benefit from, you know, and I see so we we at impact, you know, our brokerage, we we benefit from knowing, you know, a ton of contacts, a ton of direct channels, a lot of the lenders. So whenever we get, you know, deals in or guys call into us, we you know, we're on it right away. We're calling all the direct lenders. We're trying to get ahead of the curve where, you know, everybody's busy. So we, we, you know, we try to get the appraisal ordered right away. You know, we try to get the environmental reports, you know, whether it's a stage one or phase one, try to do all our due diligence and get all of the professionals basically on board just so that we're not, you know, our backs aren't up against the wall to this any kind of, you know, fast approaching date. So in terms of, you know, most of the clients that we deal with, you know, we always like to confirm their equity right away. So in terms of, you know, whether it's meeting the 10% for the owner occupied or the, you know, the 25% for the investment property type, you know, we like to confirm that right away. So it's not an issue down the road. So I would say the biggest reason, yeah, why it may fall through is, you know, is just initial timing. It's definitely a seller's market, you know, valuations are really high. People are trying to get a price they want. And, you know, obviously there's a ton of bids going into each, uh, you know, transaction or kind of offer uh, summary. So, yeah, it really kind of comes down to timing. Can we talk about that maybe a little bit too about the due diligence material that you're going to require as part of this? And maybe what I'll do is I'll sort of run through it a little bit and if maybe you can elaborate a little on it. So traditionally when someone's buying an investment property, and we'll take the assumption that this is, you know, we say not a strata lot and it's a freestanding building. You're going to need an appraisal ordered, which is what the bank will use to look at the lending aspect of it. You're going to need an environmental report that you touched on, which is a phase one or even a phase two, stage one, stage two, which is sort of going to confirm the soil, hopefully, lack of contamination uh, in the property. Probably a building inspection report, because when you are buying a freestanding building, you mean a roof, a mechanical problem, that is you. You're going to need a copy of the leases in the property. And one thing I think some people forget to ask for is when you're looking at a freestanding building that could be multi-tenanted, the leases are great, but you also want to get financial statements on that property because operating these buildings isn't sometimes as easy as everybody anticipates. Matt, is there anything there I'm missing? Are those kind of the five sort of key things that you guys are going to need to work off and, of? And confirmation of, I guess, the down payment. A down payment, yeah. So he'll take that information. Yeah. They'll then come back and sort of comprise around there. And then Matt, is there anything there that I'm missing? You, you you got it. Yeah, that's that's pretty much it. That's kind of the list. You know, all these professionals we try to engage right away. But yeah, you're pretty much bang on. Yeah, appraisal for the valuation, environmental for the clean soil, structural and mechanical report. Like you're saying, like a building condition report that definitely comes up. It doesn't come up in every single deal. You know, most lenders love. You know, obviously want the appraisal. Some, you know, depending on the age of the building. So if it's if it's a new completion building or a newly constructed building. You know, 
you probably don't need the environmental report. If it's a new business park that, say, went up, you know, that developer does their due diligence initially to say, hey, we're going to build here, we're going to dig the soil, you know, so we trust that they do their due diligence and the lenders can kind of piggyback, you know, their existing reports. Yep. When The issue is when you get into these really older buildings, you know, anything can go wrong. And, you know, if it's not the environmental that's an issue, it may be something about, you know, the building itself, Corey, like you mentioned, you know, yep. could you, you could have faulty electrical, the plumbing could be off, you know, the roof needs repair, you know, the, the envelope is starting to, you know, fall apart a bit. So, you know, that bill that's, you know, structural and mechanical report can be really, really, really important. And even taking it one step further, we can get, you know, these depreciation reports as well, right? So, you know, telling, you know, how much, how much work is going to be needed down the road, you know, in 5, 10, 20, 30 years. This gives the lenders, you know, a good line of sight. You know, are we comfortable with financing this property? You know, is the client going to need extra liquidity down the road to take care of these, you know, repairs and, uh, you know, one-time repairs that are coming up in, you know, five, 10 years. So yeah, all these reports, you know, obviously there's a cost to them, but very, very important to the lenders, to us, you know, just to make sure that we have a sound investment deal. You know, Matt, so all of those reports are kind of this second stage. I'm wondering, taking kind of the, moving back to maybe before somebody puts a deal in front of you. And now obviously they'd be working with somebody like Corey who who can kind of walk them through the process. But in terms of numbers, just when a deal makes sense, like a back of the napkin type numbers that you're working with when something comes across your desk, like in terms of cap rates, when does a deal make sense? When are you like, these numbers are, you know, this isn't going to work. Totally. Yeah. So just kind of a quick way to look at it, you know, it, it, even just going back to to, uh, to the lease agreement. So, you know, taking your lease agreement, looking at, you know, the base rent, you know, multiplying that by the, you know, the size of the building, the square footage, you kind of get your annual uh, cash flow and then just taking your, your kind of debt amount. So again, so, you know, buildings, you know, let's use an example, you know, a million bucks for the purchase price, you know, generally speaking, lenders will look at, you know, 75% uh, financing. And uh, so you kind of do the repayment on that. And, you know, at the end of the day, see if the, uh, you know, your annual cash flow in the building is enough to service. So it's, you know, that's kind of the back of the napkin. And again, you know, your inflows obviously really are just determinated on the lease agreement. And then the other aspect, obviously the outflow is just the loan itself. So, you know, that will kind of set the stage for the cash flow side of things. And then the other kind of initial point that I mentioned before is really just the value of the building. So does it make sense, you know, that this building is, you know, being purchased for a million bucks? Is it worth a million bucks? Mm-hmm. So again, going back to the kind of the appraisal to determine that. So, yeah. And and are you seeing, you know, in the residential world, often people are, at least in the initial years, kind of topping up, uh, you know, the property basically is not carrying itself. Is that ever the case? in the commercial world? It's, I would say less likely just because generally speaking, commercial values are a lot more stable than residential values, you know, especially in Vancouver. You know, we, in Vancouver, we see uh, residential real estate values will ebb and flow quite uh, extremely. So in the commercial space, you kind of get this gradual step up. So because of that, you know, we never really have to experience any you know, top up financing, you know, to help clients out, you know, because the asset values or the valuation of these, you know, industrial buildings or, you know, investment type buildings 
have just gradually been going up. You know, our clients are experiencing just great appreciation of value. And, you know, at the same time, their mortgage is still the same what they got it for a year ago. And, you know, it's being paid down. So it's, you know, obviously, you know, you know, we don't want to talk about the other side of the coin where, you know, values start, you know, say dropping, but, you know, is that a potential? Well, yeah, sure. Right. Just like the, you know, the residential market as well. So, you know, we, we've been fortunate to have a extremely strong real estate market in Vancouver. You know, we've been on a, you know, a nice bull run and I, you know, I think we'll continue to be on one for the next, you know, kind of 20 years. Well, yeah. that, that leads me to my, my next question. I was going to ask you to take out your crystal ball and so what, what do you predict? So we know we have a 20-year runway ahead of us now. Yeah. One thing I think a lot of people, you mean, I mean, I know we look at it from the brokerage side of things, is you guys are getting deals from everybody and anybody, both local and foreign and all over the province. You guys can kind of start to put together you know, charts of where people are going, what cap rates are penciling out, is areas seeing increased cap rates, lower cap rates. With all that inside knowledge that you guys have, where's Matt Dunnigan buying? Oh, geez. Yeah. Now the pressure's on. So obviously kind of staying, yeah, I would never be able to afford anything kind of like downtown, uh, downtown-ish with just myself. But, uh, you know, obviously, you know, uh, speaking of, you know, downtown metropolitan Vancouver, obviously, like I mentioned, you know, cap rates are low to two, three, you know, percent, you know, our general clients and where I would go, which is, you know, go over to the island, go to Victoria, go to Nanaimo, go to uh, go to Campbell River, go, you know, out, out into the Fraser Valley. So, you know, uh, Surrey, you know, Abbotsford, go to Mission Chilliwack. We love the interior. Go to Kelowna, go to Kamloops. In all of these places, you're getting, you know, your five, six, seven percent cap rate. And, you know, kind of like I mentioned, the, the further you go up from the epicenter, right, you know, the values of the buildings drop. So, yep. you know... They they drop in comparison to the market rent. So the market rent, you know, obviously they go down too, but not at the rate of the value of the building. Yeah. You know, kind of thereby increases your cap rate, right? So for any of us that are looking, you know, if you, whether it's yourself or a partner or a group of three or four, it's like, you know, go out to these higher cap rates where you can A, afford to get your 75% loan or you have, you know, your 25% down payment on this you know, cheaper asset. You know, you're getting a great cap rate, you're getting a great return, and you're getting out to these growing markets. Like, you know, Vancouver's been a force and a driving engine to, you know, BC's economy, right? And we're getting this like spillover effect to, you know, Kelowna. And now it's being spilled over to Kamloops. And, you know, Vernon is getting a lift and all these kind of northern cities. So, it's quite impressive to see, but yeah, I would definitely go out to, you know, I know I named a lot of spots, but, uh, you know, go to Victoria, go to Kelowna, go to, you know, go to these great, you know, stable economies and, you know, with, with, with better cap rates. Well, I think one thing a lot of people don't, you know, may or may not understand, we've talked about this before on the show is, is the lease rates sometimes aren't a lot lower when you go out to these markets as you would find in say the Vancouver market, where sometimes people assume that, if a lease rate in Vancouver is $45 a foot in a certain block, well, if I go to Victoria, it's going to be 20 And when you go to these areas and you go into the centers of these areas, the lease rates and a lot of the asset classes, whether, you I mean, it's very similar to what you'd find over here. You go to Victoria, you can spend 70 to $80 a foot on a retail space. Yet you can yeah. go to Yaletown and find some pockets in Yaletown at, at 55 bucks a foot. So there's exactly. not a lot of, you I mean, the, the lease rates in a lot of these markets aren't dramatically lower 
than what you find over here. But like to your point there, Matt, is the value of these buildings, you can get greater cash flow. And I know one thing we've always talked about here is, is we love Victoria, we love Kelowna, Camps, all these markets, because you're getting into a marketplace where you're not really sacrificing a lot on the vacancy rates to get a lot more upside where you do have still that ability for these lease rates to grow in certain markets and you're already getting a much better cap rate. My money doesn't care where it goes. Send it out, bring it home, and if it can bring home more soldiers with it, even better. So if I can go to Victoria and get a four and a half or a five and a half cap rate on a product, that that same product might yield me a two and a half or three over here, I'll gladly go over there because my vacancy rates in some asset classes aren't terribly different than what you see here in the mainland street. Just thinking this through, what's the case for downtown Vancouver? I mean, obviously stability and potential capital appreciation, I guess. Yeah. Is that the logic of not going going outside well, of... Uh, to Matt's point earlier, he said that a lot of people when they're buying into these, you know, these hub cities, they're buying for like an equity play, not so much a cash flow play. Mm-hmm. And what we've seen happen over the past few years is a lot of these large institutional buyers and funds and all of that stuff, REITs, like Matt had mentioned, they're acquiring more in Victoria now than they've ever done. They're acquiring more in Kelowna now than they've ever done because they're watching these trends and they're saying, well, if I can, from a multifamily standpoint, if I could, you know, I've got maybe a five and a half cap, believe it or not, three or four years ago in Victoria with probably a sub 2% vacancy in that asset class, or I can get that same product in Vancouver with a sub 2% vacancy for a two and a half, well, geez, I'll go buy in Victoria. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's what you're seeing. And I think one thing that COVID's really highlighted is a lot of people are moving into these marketplaces, maybe that once they didn't before because of work, they now can go to Victoria where companies are coming over to the island to create jobs there that maybe jobs that those jobs maybe would have been created three years ago. So you mean know, there's more demand for the product. And what happens is people move and migrate into these markets, then demand for retail and office and all that stuff kicks in as jobs increase. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I'm, you know, to Matt's point there, I, I obviously we talk all the time about it. And then Mr. Dunnigan there, you don't realize this, but, uh, well, you will at some point because the application will probably end up on your desk is, uh, <laughs> Matt and Adam over here. I convinced them to buy a, a commercial property for the first time ever with me in nice, Victoria. Nice. And you're not the first <laughs> guest that's come on and said, well, I'd buy in Victoria. And every time someone says that I look across at Matt and Matt is just throw doing the dollar signs in the air, <laughs> backing up the dump truck, shooting the money guns. He's just like, yeah, <laughs> Everyone says we're in the right market. You, you should see my money guns. <laughs> <laughs> so Matt, before we wrap up there, we have our, our six pack of questions so we get to know you a little bit more outside of the office here. Do you have just a couple more minutes to hang out with us? Oh, I love it. I look forward to this. Definitely. All Definitely. right. So our six pack is powered by our good friends over at Red Point Law. For all your commercial legal needs, please visit them at redpointlaw.ca. So first question up. Favorite vacation spot when you find the time? Oh, geez. Uh, yeah, you can't argue with, uh, you know, Maui is obviously a fan favorite. Uh, nice. Maui, you know, um, I, I, I've been going to Florida uh, last couple of years, though, just kind of south of Daytona Beach. So I, I kind of love uh, love that part of the East Coast. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Lots. You don't hear, I guess. He, well, you you haven't seen Matt. Okay. This this guy's like a, like a six foot four built like a goddess with muscles. Like if I was him, I'd be going to the beaches down South too. But unfortunately, unfortunately <laughs> yeah, right. my pear shaped body with sagging parts is not as, isn't really. You as look good in Miami. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe at the senior home, I would. Maybe at the senior home. So Matt, second question for you. 
favorite band or song? And this is the one that really you're judged by in the end. So, you know what? Just from from listening to past podcasts, I I was really gonna say Nickelback. <laughs> <laughs> I know, and of course, been all over that. I've been listening to a lot of uh, listening to a lot of Mumford and Sons. Like I love Mumford. Oh, it's not a bad one at all. Energy, yeah, really. Good. Song. So actually, I saw them a couple years ago. Uh, they opened up for U2, I think, like three or four years ago at BC Place. And I was very impressed with their performance. So, yeah. Well, it's funny. The last guest we had on, uh, a gentleman named Peter, his favorite show was Suits. So that's my favorite TV show. And I thought <laughs> if Peter said Nickelback, <laughs> I was on the next plane to Hong Kong, I'd found a bromance to flourish. But. All right, next next question up for you. A book you'd recommend our listeners, and it doesn't necessarily have to be real estate related. Totally. What's funny, my uh, my dad gave me this book a, a bunch of years ago and just read it again, but it's called Who Moved My Cheese by uh, Spencer Johnson. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah, what's the, what's the, can you give us a synopsis? Yeah, it's, it's kind of about, you know, not to fear what kind of lies ahead of you, but you kind of live in the moment and, you know, thrive in the environment of change and uncertainty. So it's uh, it's almost kind of like the you know like the like the power of now kind of thing. So yeah, my Matt over here is a little worried. You're talking about moving his food. So <laughs> yeah, <I was> like, <laughs> <laughs> explain the cheese component. It was not a word for to cheese, follow. Right? So <laughs> Favorite movie. Oh, you know what? Yeah, I was thinking about this. I love the movie Lord of War with Nick Cage. It's got to be one of his best oh. movies. You know, he's done a lot of movies. But. I don't think, I, I know the movie. I don't think I've actually seen that movie. Lord of, oh, it's such a good movie. He's basically uh, an international uh, gun runner or like a like an arms uh, broker. Very good movie. Yeah, yeah it's got Ethan Hawke in it. Uh, Nick Cage has done some very terrible movies, but uh, this Oh, but he's also, really- <laughs> yeah, he, it's hard not to love Nick Cage. Yeah. Yeah. Face off there with uh, John <laughs> Travolta. Yeah. All right, Matt, a quote that inspires you or a quote that you choose to live by? Yeah. I love this one. It's uh, happiness is only real when it's shared. And this is actually from another good movie that I like called Into the Wild, where uh, I believe it's uh, Emile Hirsch kind of gives up all his possessions, goes up to Alaska, lives in a van and uh, lives in a bus. And Right. I, I think this is a true based on a true story, right? It is. It is, yeah. So he, you know, gives up all his possessions, and then he realizes he's not so happy because he's alone in the wilderness. <laughs> yeah, sounds yeah. like your high school days there, Matt. <laughs> alone in the wilderness. Yeah, but Matt was alone in the hallway. <laughs> My memoir. Uh, last question for you, Matt. One piece of advice for listeners looking to get into the commercial real estate investing world. Oh, yeah, to save your, uh, you know. Save your hard-earned money and your, you know, your your pennies, you know, as early as you can, and uh, you know, try to get that, uh, you know, that down that down payment, right? Whether it's ten percent or twenty five percent, right? There, there's no no late time to get into the market, right? It's you know, it, people think Vancouver's expensive. Well, I'll tell you, it's going to get a lot more expensive. So you know, there's no 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 time like the present, right? So you know, get a partner, get a few friends, you know scrape up some uh, investment funds and just, uh, you know, jump into something. So, yeah. Before we go here and we ask you how we can get a hold of you, let's elaborate on this hockey career. So, I, I mean, <laughs> yeah, you know, we, we have an annual William Wright commercial Whistler retreat. We take all the offices up for a weekend of golfing and, and sort of celebrating everyone's year that was. And, and we had all the guys from Impact up this year with us. 
and rumors flying around Whistler where this this tall six foot three or four goddess guy walking around the pool table having a drink was a hockey star. So can we elaborate a little bit on that? Are you, are you sure that wasn't Matt Everett and not myself? Or uh? I, I, I've seen Matt Everett try to attempt to skate. So no, it wasn't him. It wasn't him. <laughs> yeah, no, the, uh, yeah, how, how they can get a hold of me is, um, you know, you can Google uh, impactcommercial.ca. I'm on LinkedIn as well. So uh, you can search Matt Dunnigan with two N's. Yeah, or, you know, I'll leave my, my direct line is 778-847-9707. So yeah, either way is uh, totally fine. And then are you offering skating lessons at that same phone number? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you know, definitely for family and friends. That's about all I have time for right now. So, uh, but yes, yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, thank you so Matt for joining us. We really appreciate you taking the time out today. We know you guys are busy and, and obviously yeah, yeah, we, that, was, that was great. We have nothing but amazing things to say about all you guys over there at Impact Commercial and everything you do for clients, not just with us, but just in the community, the brokerage community as well. So we're very thankful for all that. Yeah, no, and you you guys are amazing. Uh, keep doing what you're doing. Uh, I listen to your podcasts all the time, and they are uh, you guys are awesome. So uh, thank you very much for having me. So. Thanks so much, Matt. Okay, thanks, guys. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. And there you have it, folks, our interview with Matthew Dunnigan, Impact Commercial. But before we go too far, Matt, did you hit record? Yeah, we you know what? I, right this now? is this is our first crack at the outro, and I feel like it's going well. Okay. First of all, we're recording. Yeah, that's okay, a, that's real positive. Yeah, that was a great conversation, and you know, it's, it's worth repeating the difference between the residential and commercial space when it comes to financing. You know, the more I learn about this commercial stuff, the more excited I get. Well, as we alluded to on the episode, there it seems like every guest that comes on, and we ask everyone, "Hey, where are you putting your money?" Everybody says, Victoria, you're one for one in your commercial investments. You're 100%. You're batting 1,000 right now. <laughs> you're batting 1,000. I just surround myself with good people. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could say the same. Um, oh, oh. <laughs> great episode. One thing, too, he sort of just gives us all that baseline information of what you need to know. He talks about the highlights. One thing he didn't talk about that we should I should have probably uh, preference on the show is is one question we get that if someone gets a really good buy out there, and let's say, for example, the appraisal, it comes in at, you mean 1.5 and they're paying 1.3, does that change the loan to value or the or the, the down payment requirements? The bank will lend on the lower of the two, the appraisal value or the contract. So even if you get a contract done at 1.3, but it appraises at 1.5, that loan-to-value ratio, which determines your uh, down payment, is done off the lower of the two. So in that case, it would be your contract. And right. that's one thing that we have, I mean, where clients have got really good buys or maybe they have a little bit longer closings and the value is appreciated. The bank's still going to hedge their bet and take the lower so of you, the two. you don't benefit from that? No, uh, not right away. But what you do is you close on the property, let the market work its, its magic, and then a year later, you can go back and you can refinance it. And that's, I mean, Al and... You know, Matt and John and those guys will, will take care of that for you as well. Fantastic. Well, maybe we'll leave it there. One thing before we go, Corey, of course, all the commercial, the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast live over at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com for all things real estate related. Here, basically in the province of British Columbia, I feel like we, we are, it's almost a misnomer now just focusing on Vancouver, but you can get transcripts of these episodes. We also have VIP commercial and residential yep. pre-sale projects. 
And if people want to find out more about what you're doing over at William Wright, Corey? They can visit us at williamwright.ca. They're welcome to call our Vancouver office anytime, 604-428-5255. And they're always welcome to send me an email at corey at williamwright.ca. Fantastic. Well, have a great week, everyone. And we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. Subscribe today.